Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Hey everyone, this is Colleen Wacob, and I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of MindBodyGreen. I'll be your host for today's podcast. Dr. Alyssa Dweck, MSMD, is a practicing gynecologist in Westchester County, New York, and an assistant clinical professor at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. Beyond being a doctor, Dweck is an expert in nutrition, having received her master's degree in human nutrition from Columbia University and an athlete who has competed in multiple triathlons. She's penned three books on sexual health and how women can optimize their well-being through every stage of life. Over the years of meeting with thousands of patients, Dweck has developed a special interest in the science of aging and what women can really do to keep their cells healthy over the years through menopause and beyond. I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Alyssa Dweck to the Mind Body Green podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Before we jump in, you're well known for your no-holds-barred approach to sexual and gynecological health. But how did you personally get interested in the science of aging? Look, I take care of women day in and day out. And what better subject to be able to speak about with my patients than enhancing their aging and enhancing their quality of life in that way? What is aging on a cellular level? What's happening to our bodies? Well, think about it. With age, our cells age with us. In addition, While part of this is genetic and pre-programmed for us, a lot of environmental stresses will also cause aging to our cells. And we have cells everywhere, billions of cells in our body, our brains, our liver, our kidneys, our gynecologic organs, et cetera. So anything we can do to enhance our aging process is helpful. We look at so many women who take uh, so many steps to um, help with the aging phenomenon, whether it's what soap they use or what cosmetics they use or what type of exercise they do. Why shouldn't we address this on a cellular level as well? And what's causing cellular aging? Well, many, many factors cause cellular aging. So certainly as we spoke about genetic factors, And so I think your parents have a little bit to do with it. So you can either blame your mother or thank your mother. Um, In addition, think about stresses that occur to us every day that we may not give credit to, whether it's overexposure to the sun or eating meals that are too large and taxing our digestive systems or alcohol use or the stress that we find ourselves under, whether it's due to our kids our financial situation, our spouses, our general day-to-day life. All of these stressors have something to do with our aging process. So you've talked a little bit about some of our aging being determined at birth. Like, Is there a percentage-ish that you feel comfortable with? How much control do we have if we were dealt a, maybe not the best hand? I really don't know how to answer that in exact statistical terms, but what I would say is that since we can't necessarily alter our genetics, we really need to try to focus on things that we do have some control over. So in addition to some of the common sense things like watching our diets, watching our sun exposure, using sunscreen, moderating alcohol use, 
avoiding smoking, those typical stressors on our cells on a day-to-day basis, we also can take some other measures, including in the form of supplements to enhance our aging process. So let's talk first about the lifestyle approach. Um, You mentioned diet, and you deal with a primarily female uh, patient base. Are there certain things women should look out for from a diet standpoint? Are there any rules to live by? Absolutely. So I'm an advocate of a lifestyle diet rather than a diet that you do for a couple of weeks and then go off of it. Lifestyle is key. Typically in gyno world, we recommend the Mediterranean diet. So this suggests that lean proteins, minimal salt and spices instead, olive oil instead of butter and other dairy products, moderate alcohol, etc., are probably the healthiest lifestyle choices to make in terms of diet. And we do see many people who age gracefully in the Mediterranean population, so I think we really can take our lesson from that. In addition, with age and hormone changes that come along with a woman's life cycle, we can see changes in metabolism, and we also can see diminishment in the uh, lean body mass or muscle tissue, which can lead towards weight gain and less energy as age progresses. So I'm really speaking mostly about the perimenopausal and menopausal ages when I speak of this. But it's best to get these lifestyle points in early. Sure. And you mentioned sun exposure. So I know we need a certain amount of vitamin D, but obviously there's a correlation between you know spending too much time out in the sun and wrinkles. So what's the right amount of sun exposure we should be targeting? That's a great question. So I think the standard is 10 to 15 minutes per day should give an adequate amount of exposure to promote normal vitamin D levels, which are generally good for overall health and immune function. However, now we have the benefit of being able to test vitamin D, so we really can see where women fall and supplement if necessary. Certainly, no matter what sun exposure you're getting, sunscreen is recommended with an SPF of 30 or greater, and I would advocate for that. In addition, for women who live in, say, the Northeast, where we have months where we don't have excellent sun exposure, we may need supplementation more readily at that time available. And then you also mentioned alcohol and the Mediterranean diet, and so many people who are part of the Blue Zones actually enjoy a few glasses of wine. And you know, we found, or they've found through research, that if consumed um, in a social setting, a few glasses of wine actually show some correlation with longevity. But are there any rules for women to keep in mind around this? Definitely. Moderation key. Okay. The standard for moderation is one to two por- per day or less okay. uh, to fit that criteria. And keep in mind that binge drinking is absolutely not advocated. Um, Hard alcohol, a little bit different than red wine, let's say. (laughs) And I think some women have to really moderate alcohol use when they're suffering from some of the perimenopausal and menopausal symptoms such as hot flashes or night sweats or sleep interruption because alcohol surely can interfere with, with that. And stress. It's an epidemic facing our audience, facing our community, facing America, probably the greater world as well. Have you found any strategies that work for your patients to help cope with stress? 
Yes, stress is overwhelming, and my patients laugh when I ask them to try to diminish their stress levels because, of course, here I am in the stress capital of the right. universe in uh, in New York. Um, however, exercise is an excellent stress reducer. Whatever exercise is something that you'll continue doing or that you enjoy doing, of course, is going to be what is best. I also feel some of the more mindfulness type of training exercises really can get women started out on their days, especially since so many of us are multitasking and trying to manage full-time jobs, keeping up a home, managing our kids, etc. I think that uh, a, a simple mindfulness app for 10 minutes in the morning may really start people off on the right foot. Yoga, meditation, Tai Chi, any of those type of practices will surely lower stress. I also advocate for So that's interesting. So you, yeah. you've, you've named a lot of uh, types of movement that are very gentle and restorative. Um, you know, here in New York City, there's a lot of enthusiasm around cardio. Do you tend to nudge your patients in, in more gentle, restorative practices? I tend to nudge them to do both because I think that Exercise is important not only for cardio health and yeah. for flexibility and strength and to help with the aging process and also to prevent bone loss for future, but the mindfulness training and mm. some of the more gentle approaches are really more for the spirit and for the uh, emotional calmness to bring down stress levels. And then what about strength training for women? How do you see that fitting into and helping women uh, age? Well, look, we see that strength training surely helps with the physique, and so many women are interested in making sure they stay lean. Again, as I mentioned before, we all lose lean body mass with right. age, and we also tend to gain that fatty layer right around the middle, which has been you know, now dubbed the muffin top. And in order to really avoid these things from occurring, strength training, cardio, and stress reduction all come into play along with diet to keep this to a minimum. Um, and then what about when women are pregnant and birthing babies? Is there anything specifically from a diet standpoint that you advise your patients to do differently? Well, surely that's probably beyond the scope of this uh, discussion, but for sure, I recommend the proper amount of folic acid to prevent birth defects in regard to prenatal vitamins. We typically recommend that for most women. Some women have special circumstances and may need a little bit more in terms of supplementation, but that's individualized. In regard to exercise, something new has changed over the years, whereas when I originally trained in OBGYN, we used to have a pretty strict parameter of heart rate that we would tell women to yeah. keep their uh, pulse in a certain range when they were pregnant. And now we've kind of abandoned that and gone more towards an exertion type of recommendation so that women shouldn't overexert themselves but are fine to exercise to a point of feeling uh, somewhat exerted uh, during pregnancy. No question, exercise and strength training help with the whole childbirth process. So we rec recommend that again, barring any complications during pregnancy. And does pregnancy and childbirth have a positive or negative impact on aging? Well, look, pregnancy surely is a big stress. So yep. I think in that sense, it has a negative impact on aging. However, it is such a wonderful and beautiful experience where you know you really uh, become whole and form your family and 
in that sense, I think it's very helpful in the aging process. And how is NAD connected to aging? And you're probably going to have to break it down for our audience about what NAD is. Yes, and it's been a couple of years since my basic science days. So let's go back to NAD. So NAD is a substance that every cell in our body uses to turn food into energy. And that's putting it in simplistic terms, but of course that's the bottom line. NAD tends to decrease with age. We know this. We also know that NAD decreases with certain stresses, including all the ones I've mentioned, being postpartum, lactating, uh, drinking too much alcohol, overeating, getting too much sun exposure, or smoking, all examples that we talked about before. So there is some really exciting research on the front of uh, the science bench right now to find ways to increase NAD through supplementation in an effort to help our aging process and to better our cellular metabolism so we can all age more gracefully. And is there a connection between cellular metabolism and metabolism in general, or are those two distinct things? Well, they're intertwined for sure because we have so many cells in our body and each cell relies on NAD in an effort to create energy. So whether we're talking about metabolism through the thyroid gland or through digestion or through caloric intake, or we're talking about brain health or muscular health or kidney health, all of these cells in our body rely on NAD to go forward. And how do you know if your NAD levels are decreasing? Well, we know through science and research that NAD definitively declines with age. This is not a test that we just order in the doctor's office, but it's something that's being studied on a more basic science level. And the most exciting information is that there is a newer form of vitamin B3, which is a water-soluble vitamin that has been shown to increase NAD in cells in a very efficient way. So I'd like to back up a little bit and just explain about the three types of vitamin B3 that are known. Sure. The first that's most well-known is called niacin. This is also called nicotinic acid. Niacin is known from history to be what's deficient in people who used to suffer from a disease called pellagra. This disease, thankfully, does not exist anymore. Um, however, niacin has been used as a supplement over time for various reasons. And although it increases NAD in cells, it comes with some baggage. And that baggage is that it causes a lot of flushing for people who take it. And this is pretty uncomfortable. A second form of vitamin B3 called nicotinamide, or NAM, also increases NAD in cells, but it doesn't cause flushing, which is a good thing. But this particular form of vitamin B3 comes with some baggage as well. And I know this is a little confusing, but nicotinamide, or NAM, tends to also have a negative impact on another chemical called sirtuins. Sirtuins are helpful to keep our cells healthier. They contribute to longevity and anti-aging. So we really don't want to inhibit sirtuins. So welcome to nicotinamide riboside, or NR. 
This is the newest form of vitamin B3 that has been found to boost NAD in cells. It doesn't cause flushing and it actually promotes the activity of sirtuins. So it has a lot of benefits and minimal baggage. The other great thing about NR is that it has been considered generally regarded as safe by the FDA. And it's an ingredient that has been promoted um, in the supplement world and has a lot of research behind it that can give us comfort in recommending this as a supplement because there really are no adverse effects when you think about taking this orally. And have you prescribed this to some of your patients and seen you know some great results you can share? Absolutely. So it's not a prescription. NR is available over the counter as a supplement and it's taken orally as opposed to some of the other uh, vitamin forms. As far as dosing, we do know that dosages that are suggested for women in my practice is about 300 milligrams a day. And when studied in really good standardized trials, both preclinically in rodents, but also in humans, has shown no side effects uh, on a bad side. And most people who take these generally report a good sense of well-being and more energy. And the thought is that this NR or nicotinamide riboside helps to promote cellular energy production by increasing NAD in our cells. It also supports healthy cellular uh, metabolism, like you asked about before, and helps to promote cellular repair. So the bottom line is this supplement works on a cellular level. And at, at what age do our NAD levels start to decrease? Well, we see declines with age. I couldn't tell you exactly when the most significant drop-off is, but I would imagine probably the 30s or 40s, it really starts to decline. We talked a little bit about before this conversation about how Grimes at 31 recently posted that she uses NR. Um, Sound like a good time to start then, around 31? Why not? I think there's uh, no better time to start to get into good habits. Um, This has been uh, used in men and women, but of course I only take care of women predominantly. So I've had a very good experience with it with uh, positive feedback. And do you personally use it as well? I sure do. And what's been the experience in your own life? Same as what I reported uh, for my patients, which is just a general sense of well-being and a sense of uh, maybe some enhanced energy. Again, this is not a lone wolf. It needs to be combined with a healthy diet and exercise and stress reduction like we spoke about. Other things that go along with healthy aging, a sense of community, um, you know, a feeling of belonging, general mental healthy healthy, uh, status as well. And what has been some of the most promising latest research on NR? Well, NR has been studied in um, men and women. There is some information that it may benefit liver health, that it may benefit cardiovascular health, and I think it's super exciting to think about future research that's going to be done in these areas. There also was recently a preclinical study, meaning in rodents only, not in humans yet, on lactating rodents and some of the effects that NR may have in terms of benefiting both mom and pup, better milk quality, better milk production, 
more mm. weight loss in the rodents who are postpartum from delivery. And if we could apply this to humans, how exciting would that be? Very exciting, says the woman who is six weeks postpartum. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so how should patients be talking to their doctors about aging? Um, what questions should we specifically be asking? Look, I think supplements are a controversial area when it comes to traditional medicine because some of them are well studied, some of them not so much. So I do think patients in general have to do their due diligence and see what might be best for them. I am hoping more traditional providers will get on board with supplements such as NR, which have been well studied and have good clinical evidence behind their efficacy and safety. And, and I just mean taking a step back just even from supplements, if people want to know, hey, how, how am I doing on this aging? Are things going according to plan? You know, I think so many times people feel sluggish, people feel tired, and it's easy to be like, oh, well, I'm getting older or I have two kids now. Sure. How, how do we know if we're asking the right questions to see if everything's going the way it should? Great question. Looks, there are so many moving parts when it comes to how people are feeling, particularly with age. Always a great idea to check in with your healthcare provider for a regular physical. Could your thyroid gland, which regulates your overall metabolism, be off a little bit and making you feel sluggish? Surely that's something that could be addressed. Could it be that you're having hormone changes related to perimenopause or menopause, and that's giving you a feeling of low energy? And I think there are multiple ways to manage that. Could it be that you're just feeling depressed or anxious and you need some mental health uh, that needs to be addressed? So there are a lot of moving parts, but I think a general physical with blood work to address your general chemistries, are you anemic, is your thyroid okay, uh, to uh, ascertain. Cool. I'd love to drill a little bit more down into perimenopause and menopause. Sure. Um, so let's start first with perimenopause. What, what's happening to women during this time and, and what lifestyle changes you would recommend? Yes. So here's the skinny on the whole menopause thing. So menopause, average age in the U.S. anyway, is about 51 years oh, old. We, could we actually start with perimenopause? Of course. Cool. So the years leading up to menopause, which is defined as 12 consecutive months without your period, is called perimenopause. And this could last anywhere from four to eight years, although some women notice a lengthier transition. What's happening during this time is that the ovaries are not necessarily ovulating on a monthly, regular schedule anymore, and therefore estrogen levels, progesterone levels, testosterone levels are all diminishing particularly estrogen levels. So some women are gonna suffer with irregular menses. They may have hot flashes or night sweats. They Even within perimenopause. Absolutely. And they may come and go and be intermittent in nature until the real menopause comes about. Some women fly through this without any problem, unscathed and go about their business. And there's a big genetic component to that, but also a lifestyle component. Other women suffer horribly and they really find that their quality of life is so significantly impaired that they have to really go the distance of even considering hormonal therapy to help with their symptoms. So there really is a big range of symptomatology. So when someone comes in to, to talk to you and they are having the worst possible perimenopause experience, what lifestyle factors do you recommend to help them get through it? So I recommend the Mediterranean diet. 
I recommend exercise absolutely. I often recommend stress reduction, whether it comes in the form of a regular massage, a mindfulness app on their phone, trying to cut out certain things in their lives that are causing them undue stress, those things for sure. Oftentimes I'll recommend medication. Some women have to rely on hormone therapy or potentially an antidepressant medication. And some women just need a really good night's sleep. So I might introduce some general sleep hygiene uh, pearls that will be helpful. Those are the main recommendations, but there are um, others. And we should be talking to our, our mothers and our sisters and finding out about their experience as well. Absolutely, because I think one of the things that really is difficult is that this can take women by surprise especially in the perimenopausal time you know one irregular period and some women are just concerned maybe they're pregnant and they do a pregnancy test but when it's over and over again where irregular periods and then the hot flashes and night sweats and sleep disturbance and moodiness that occurs as a result of this uh, comes about really a check-in with your healthcare provider to make sure it's just perimenopause and not something else could be really helpful. And then whatever treatment modalities we can come up with that are individualized. And what are the, some of the signs that a woman is moving from perimenopause into menopause? Good question, but I think this is just a definition really. Menopause being defined as 12 consecutive months of no period is just a, a time. And when that happens, Every minute after that time is considered menopause or postmenopause, but all of the years leading up to that are perimenopause. And so it's kind of semantics, but yeah. it's that definition that holds. And are women experiencing perimenopause at or about the same time as they did, you know, decades earlier? That's a great question. I believe it's about the same, but I'm not sure how far back that goes. I will say that Newer information from a particular study called the SWAN study suggests that as gynecologists, we were actually telling women the wrong information for quite some time, letting them know that six months to two years would be the lengthiest time that they might experience hot flashes or night sweats, when in actuality, the average time is about seven and a half years. And some unlucky few actually suffer with symptoms for 15 years. So this is information that we've gathered over a long period of time. And for hot flashes in particular, is there something you recommend from a treatment standpoint? Well, again, it's very individualized based on a person's personal medical history and family sure. history. Uh, and some women need nothing other than just recognizing that this is what they're going through so they don't feel frightened about their symptoms. Other women can resort to certain herbal remedies that they find helpful. Acupuncture is helpful for some women. Mindfulness exercises, of course. Some women need to go for the gold with hormone therapy. They really just are so miserable and can't function day to day. And in these instances, estrogen therapy with or without some other hormones might be just a, a real godsend. And you mentioned herbs. Um, what herbs have some of your patients seen success with? So anecdotally, some patients find herbs like phytoestrogen. So for example, black cohosh, which is available in lots of different formulations over the counter. Although most literature suggests that this is probably not that much more effective than placebo. Hmm. Placebo alone is about 30% effective in quelling 
hot flashes, and night sweats. Uh, there are other supplements that are made with, uh, for example, a proprietary Swedish flower pollen that have been shown in clinical studies to be quite helpful for hot flashes in many women, so I recommend this at times. Other medications, there's one called gabapentin, has been helpful, particularly for women who are having trouble sleeping because this can cause some drowsiness. So we'll give this to women at night. And then, like I mentioned, estrogen therapy, kind of the go-to for the woman who really finds no assistance with any other uh, product. So we've been talking about sleep in a couple of different ways throughout this conversation, and it's something that so many women struggle with and you know, adds and creates more anxiety and stress in life. Um, for someone who just can't get to sleep, what do you recommend? Oh, I recommend so many things. First of all, talk about cellular repair. Sleep is the time when we do this the most. <laughs> this is when our body really replenishes and refuels. We need sleep. Take it from me, I was an obstetrician for 25 years and lacked sleep every three days of my <laughs> life, so I'm catching up now. But sleep hygiene is awfully important. I think the biggest interruption in our sleep hygiene right now are our phones. Sure. The electronics really interrupt our circadian rhythms. I think the uh, busy mind that gets formed from having our phones under our pillows or on our nightstands is really interrupting women's quality of sleep and men's most likely. Um, so turning off electronics. Caffeine, we're all relying on lots of caffeine to stay energetic throughout the day. So really minimizing that before at a particular time of day so that it doesn't affect your sleep is helpful. Alcohol, again, moderation, because that might interrupt the sleep cycle. Make your bedroom a place that is conducive to sleep, whether that's because you follow a feng shui type of design or you shut down all electronics and have uh, you know, candles or lighting that's relaxing. Uh, these are all things that enhance sleep. Rarely we have to rely on medication to help with sleep and whether that's herbal and over-the-counter such as melatonin or one of those types of things or something more uh, strong, sleeping pills, anti-anxiety meds, but um, those are the last resorts. And what advice would you give to your younger self? My younger self, personally, Stay out of the sun a little bit, even though it feels so good, um, because I think uh, we don't realize how strong the sun is at this point compared to 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to tell myself that one too. What gets you excited when you wake up in the morning? Well, look, I love my job. I really love taking care of women every day. There is never a dull moment <laughs> in my life. Um, and of course, my family uh, always keeps me sane. So uh, these, are, these are what get me up every day happily. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. It has been my pleasure. Thank you.